in uh, 2014. And that was when I was really starting to focus specifically on um, uh, digital health. And he assured me during this meeting over coffee that we were in a bubble, you know, it was a health tech bubble, you couldn't possibly put more money into it. And he was ready to stop investing in the space. And I just, now I look back and I think, yikes. You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. So the digital health market is hitting growth and funding records quarter after quarter. And, you know, probably for the last couple of years, well, at least the last two years. And while we've definitely seen a spike during COVID, the number of health tech, telemedicine, medical technology startups has been increasing for years, um, for years now, definitely since we we launched the firm. Um, it's, it's a super exciting time for investors and founders, but I'm starting to hear more and more murmurings around sort of where the ceiling might be. How many more companies, how much more money can we pour into the market? Yeah. So that's a really interesting point. I'm hearing the same thing. And my thinking is that we've really uh, hit a turning point for uh, digital health. And I think we're going to see sort of an exponential curve as uh, the uptake for digital health continues. It's almost a necessity now. I think the COVID pandemic proved that. And, um, you know, I do expect to see significant increases continuing. We'll see some, some investments that, you know, as we always do, that, that fail, right? That are, that are not destined to really go anywhere for one reason or the other. But I think we're gonna see some pretty amazing successes as well. Yeah, I was just thinking about a conversation I had with a VC in uh, 2014. And that was when I was really starting to focus specifically on um, uh, digital health. And he assured me during this meeting over coffee that we were in a bubble, you know, it was a health tech bubble, you couldn't possibly put more money into it. And he was ready to stop investing in the space. And I just, now I look back and I think, yikes. I wonder if he did stop investing. And if he did, I bet he's going to pick that right back up again because (laughs) the market is hot. And I think everyone is recognizing uh, the need for more digital health interventions in healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I obviously thought he was wrong then because, you know, we like doubled down on this um, back in 2014. But um, I I still think he's wrong. I I think you're right. I think we we haven't seen the market top out. Um, If you think of just the amazing growth that we've seen just in the, you know, the the femtech vertical um, in the last two years after, you know, basically didn't exist before 2019, at least it wasn't being talked about. Um, But 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 I am interested in how uh, uh, instead of sort of when the industry is going to take a downturn. What I'm more interested in is how the industry is likely to change. We're seeing a lot of new, brand new innovations in the market. We're certainly seeing a lot of companies that are that are competing in the same space and the same products or services, but we're seeing a lot of new concepts in the market. Um, so I think that, um, you know, our, our commentary on 
you know, how the industry is changing, what it looks like today and, and, and how it's likely to look like tomorrow. That's probably going to be a theme of a lot of these podcasts. Yeah, so I see I, I see that we're sort of observing uh, a convergence of events here. And, you know, you mentioned um, the femtech, the, uh, the, the rise of femtech. I think that was in part as a result of the recognition, uh, the, the, the very sort of, you know, highlighted recognition at this point that um, there are not enough women founders and there are not enough women investors. And when women are not in the investor seat or in the founder seat, then there, there, there isn't money going to fund women's health issues. And I think uh, for whatever reason that that, um, that message has finally sunk in. And so what we are seeing is a number of funds focused on femtech and on women's health. Um, we're involved with with a number of those funds, we're involved with a number of accelerators um, that are focused on women's health. And um, I take that as, as really good news. You know, the, the other element of this convergence, of course, was COVID. I think, you know, as I mentioned, there's a widespread understanding now that we have to be prepared to provide healthcare uh, in a non-face-to-face setting because sometimes circumstances make that absolutely necessary. And then sort of the third big event that I see as a, as a convergence is finally a little bit more of this shift to value-based care that is occurring. Um, we have been, we've been on this train for a while now, um, you know, starting in 2010 with the, the Affordable Care Act. It has taken a long time to, to make this shift to value-based care and, um, I think we are starting to see, uh, to first understand the necessity of it, to second see more of a commitment um, at the top levels of government to making it happen. Um, and third, you know, providers um, uh, starting to understand what, what value-based care really means as well. So um, you know, it's a convergence of events that I think is actually bringing more attention to the patient experience of healthcare as well. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like all of the things that I want to pick apart and talk about in those sort of three areas of convergence. It's just the whole thing is just fascinating how it's um, how it's unfolding. Um, so so um, so earlier th- this month, uh, Rolf Winkler wrote a piece for The Wall Street Journal, and he was focused on, um, you know, we've seen a lot of digital health. Uh, news that's very positive and, you know, the world's your oyster and there's a ton of money and, um, you know, VCs are fighting to get into these deals. Um, but, but Rolf really talked from a customer perspective and we talked to a lot of our clients about this in particular, sort of putting themselves in their customer's shoes, figuring out what their pain points are and really solving whatever the issue is for them, right? Not just saying, this is a bright, shiny object, it's new, it'll be great for marketing, you know, adopt this because um, they won't use it if it's not useful to them. So, so Rolf interviewed a number of, of purchasers of, the, of these technologies. A lot of our very successful clients are selling to, you know, large self-insured employers, um, health plans, payers, and, uh, you know, Rolf collected some feedback from those folks um, to, and, and, and it had a great perspective on sort of what their purchasing behavior is looking like and the kinds of things that digital health companies might want to consider um, when they're selling into these groups. And, and also I think it, it sort of uh, 
foreshadows what we're like to, likely to see cause a shift in strategy for a lot of these companies. I'm going to link uh, the article in our show notes, um, but I wanted to uh, talk with my brilliant partner about uh, some key takeaways from the article that I think are important for digital health companies to consider. The first is that these customers are overwhelmed. Um, I know we just went over how many new companies are in the space and selling into the space. Um, that's been happening for five or 10 years now. And these customers have, are, they just have these companies sort of <laughs> knocking on their door all the time, every day with different solutions. And they're having, a, they're having trouble, uh, you know, they're having trouble managing it, frankly. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. We are hearing that from our digital health clients and our life sciences and med tech clients who are, you know, selling into um, the, the healthcare space, right? So for example, um, when they're selling into physician practices or health systems, they are consistently hearing the feedback that they, there are too many portals and too many logins and too many systems to have to to, to get into where, you know, information is kept in all different places. And um, that's understandable. I remember one, um, one, health, uh, one medical practice administrator telling me that she has 14 different portals to that she has to log into um, on a regular basis to do the business of the practice. And that's really tough. Um, we, we see a lot of um, remote patient monitoring companies that, that are coming down the pike. And, um, and you know, that is a, a newer type of care management service, service with chronic care management services being another type of um, virtual care service. And, you know, uh, providers are saying, or physician practices are saying, why would I want one vendor to provide me with remote patient monitoring services and an entirely separate vendor to be providing CCM services, chronic care management services for the same patients. Like they're basically gonna be serving the same patients. I need, I need to have one platform and I need to have one login and I need to have those types of services coordinated for, for the patients and coordinated uh, for me. Yeah, and I think that coordination is the basis of another one of these sort of takeaways, which is, you know, there are a lot of digital health companies that are doing things like, predictive analytics um, and have, you know, AI-based tools that sort of ingest claims data, for instance, from self-insurance employers to deliver insights, uh, to, to uh, you know, customize their solution to the, to the employee population. But many digital health companies are not integrating with the insurers that are sort of, uh, you know, underlying the, 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 um, the, the benefits provided to the employees. And so the systems aren't integrated. The systems aren't talking to each other. And not only does that create, um, you know, inefficiencies and, um, you know, gaps in being able to deliver services uh, for, for the digital health company, but for the employer as well, they're trying to, um, they're trying to integrate the technology that they use and they're trying to integrate their claims data into, uh, you know, into their, uh, you know, vendor data um, to marry them together to, to, to improve care. And um, I think a lot of companies haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think at one point, sort of, you know, in the 2010s, 
um, I, I thought that we were headed toward the decoupling of um, insurance, health insurance as provided by employers, right? I thought we were heading, heading more towards sort of private or public markets for, for health insurance. Um, it doesn't look like that's happening, uh, at least not right now. And so you're absolutely right that, that integration with the employers um, is, is key if they're going to succeed. Yeah, we've got, you know, we've got clients that are getting, I mean, it's unimaginable how much, um, you know, energy this must take up, but we've got clients that are getting daily, weekly, monthly, massive data transfers um, between systems because, well, there's privacy issues, of course, but because they want to sort of have the most up-to-date data to make their predictions, to run their algorithms, um, but without any integration, it's, it's a, it's a, Honestly, it's a privacy risk in itself, taking these massive, massive data sets and having them travel through multiple systems. Um, so, so solving that problem, I think, is going to be sort of a big challenge in the next five years. Um, I think also to your point, Carrie, with the RPM and the CCM systems, you know, we've got a lot of digital health companies that are specializing now and they're finding great success by specializing on a particular patient population or a particular condition. Um, and, uh, what I what I am seeing is that the same thing you're seeing is that customers are saying that's great. We would love a customized, specialized solution, but we don't need five customized, specialized solutions. We need a platform that can deliver customized, specialized services to this whole population. And so, you know, you're seeing some very pointed acquisitions. Uh, for instance, the company Roe just acquired Modern Fertility, right? Modern Fertility, very, very specialized. Roe, broader platform. And I think, you know, I think we're probably going to witness a lot of acquisition activity in the next couple of years as the sort of you know, the article calls them one trick ponies, which I think is a little derogatory, but companies that are very targeted being acquired or consolidated to offer a more consistent platform to customers. Yeah, I think that's right. I expect we were already seeing it, as you mentioned, I, I expect to see some consolidation uh, in the industry where we're seeing aggregators um, of services as a whole, uh, you know, come in and make the big plays. I think that's right. So, okay, so this has been a really uh, wonderful discussion. I hope you have gotten some value out of it. Um, you know, do you digital health companies out there, you should be seeking this kind of feedback from your customers um, so that you can pivot and add the kind of value that they are, they are looking for. And this is changing as we're, as we're going to be talking about on this podcast. Um, if you're doing this already, great job. I'd love to hear what you're hearing. Um, I'd love to hear whether this is the kind of feedback you're getting. Um, is it a different conversation when you're talking to a large physician practice versus, you know, a health system? Um, and are you looking at the market to see potential acquisition targets and joint venture targets? Um, I hope you will leave your thoughts or questions in the comment section. And thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, everyone.